1: Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and OrthoEvidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bandari from OrthoEvidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Mo. Good morning. I think neither one of us are at our usual spots uh, this no. morning. I am uh, actually not at the office. I'm getting ready to travel to the airport to go to the office in Boston. Ah. But therefore, I'm absent my ortho Joe mug, which I'm trying to deal with acute depression. I've got I've got a cup of Joe, but it's uh, rather generic. A yeah, I, have a got holiday, I, I have a holiday
0: cup here and I'll, well, I'll, I'll let the you mean nameless, but it's a it's a holiday cup of coffee. <laughs>
1: okay, from a yeah. uh, a large uh, Canadian company, Canadian Canada-based company that was named after a former hockey player, perhaps yes.
0: something like that. Yes, <laughs> you can be very right on that. Yes,
1: yeah, <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, and I also noticed, and I know you have already that here I sit, having learned absolutely nothing from you about appropriate dress for academic. Interchange <laughs> it with my JBGS tie on, still acting like a fossil. Not at someday. all. Not at all.
0: Not at all. I mean, I, I just think I just I just think that uh, you know it's the holidays, so why not just to relax? Well, I shouldn't say it's quite yet. I'm already in the season. I'm in the mindset of holidays, so. Uh, but but then you'd argue that Mo, you're always like that. So you, you must be in a perpetual state of vacation or holiday. But let's we'll leave that for another discussion.
1: Yeah, I just I, I you know I'm I'm okay with truth telling. And I, you know, I would just uh, point out to the listening and viewing audience that that you are a clued in to world fashion trends and I am <laughs> clued in to an age gone by. So and I'm not, I'm not okay at all. With that. Not at all. Yeah. But uh listen, I, I wanna, you know, this is my uh ninth year. As editor of the journal, and I try to really use uh, the editorial process quite sparingly. And I actually can't recall a time when I've written a piece that had a viewpoint in it. I tend to uh, use the editorial process to highlight oh symposia we've done or uh, uh, big big changes uh, in the in the overall field, and and not with much opinion, but. This I think may be the only exception in my nine years that I wrote an editorial, and it was uh, to accompany a uh, very exhaustive piece and quite informative piece on research for medical students and pre-med students who uh, endeavor to get into orthopedic surgery. Now we'll get into why I wrote the editorial in, in a bit, but the art, as the article points out that uh, between eleven and seventeen percent now of applicants to U.S. orthopedic residencies have participated in a year of research. And this has to do with the fact that our specialty is very popular, and somewhere between a third and 40% don't get in on their first uh, go-around, and therefore these one-year to two-year options, sometimes paid, sometimes not, have become more the norm than the exception. So the first thing I want to start out with What is the situation for students in Canada who want to uh, get into orthopedics?
0: Yeah, and, you know, I would say that for sure. I mean, mean I'm not sure. At this point, well, I guess you and I can debate whether this is good or bad. But And we will. Right, right, (laughs) right. For medical students getting into an orthopedic training program in Canada, and I would actually argue, Mark, if you look across... You know lots of the places both you and i travel it's not that different i mean in terms of the perception so there's the there's the availability of spots which is always a challenge but if you decide you want orthopedics and two things seems one you need to pretty well differentiate very early medical school because you're competing with the other individuals who have decided it seems you know very early on that this is their career path right and then it has become almost a prerequisite i i would have to believe that a trainee or a medical student coming in without a reasonable portfolio of research uh, would have a harder time uh, getting into the top positions or, or even getting a position. So the stress from getting into a program is hard. It used to be that just demonstrating interest through electives and maybe doing any type of research, anything was you know important. But now we're seeing more and more the number. And I think to your point, the quality of publications is becoming much more an issue. And you're seeing students, Mark, coming in with double-digit papers. This is medical school. The one thing, though, that I don't believe I'm seeing a lot of, or at least I, I don't recall seeing a lot of, is the frequency with which people are taking a full year off. They're called here enrichment years when they do do it, and I've seen it at the McMaster Medical School. that take an enrichment year. You know, maybe in my 15 years, I've seen, at least with students that are engaged in orthopedics, maybe a handful of times, but somehow all this is happening while they're you know, doing their medical school training, which has made it particularly challenging.
1: Right. And as you correctly point out, it's no longer adequate to do high-level bench research in another field outside of musculoskeletal topics. It really has become an orthopedic-based research demonstration. Yeah. And it's very, very hard now for students who... Discover they love orthopedics halfway through their third year in training. That was my case. I went to medical school thinking I w- wanted to be a pediatrician, and it wasn't until halfway through my third year that I was that I discovered, boy, what these folks are doing really looks like very rewarding field. Uh, and I, th- I think that's nearly impossible now, um, which which is a shame. I, I think it puts young people under so much pressure uh, and results in the, the need to compete uh, in this arena.
0: But yeah, let me yeah. let me now turn to the reason.
1: Oh, go ahead. No, go, ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to
0: say, the only thing I was going to add is, you know, the other big, big challenge is that you'll have individuals who, like, you know, we, we make this presumption that, you know, to be an orthopedic surgeon, you must be a, you know, a surgeon scientist mentality just to get into the program. You, know, you have to demonstrate all this research. The truth of the matter is there are going to be many individuals who are, quite frankly, not You know, like their drive is education. I mean, we've seen it at, you know, all, all over all over the world. Their drive is high quality education, high quality patient care. And they're going to make tremendous impacts in the field. But I feel that what happens sometimes is them coming in and writing four or five or six papers sometimes seems to be less about them. And more about the environment in which they're in and the benefits may not always be the medical students and maybe that's what you're going to speak to but i feel there's other people benefiting sometimes from this pressure pressure cooker environment
1: yes yeah yeah well stated and so uh this uh article that i referred to uh, is a is a great uh, resource for students who are interested in the field it really goes about how to select a program how to select a mentor what to look for in the highest quality programs, very, very useful. But my experience in traveling around uh, the United States primarily uh, and doing journal clubs and visiting various programs is that there is an awful lot of abuse of these highly motivated students. Uh, And when I say abuse, what I'm talking about is a faculty member takes on a student, again, sometimes with no pay for a full year, which further uh, puts them in debt for living expenses uh, beyond their medical school debt and offers no supervision. I visited one program where there were 10 students doing a one-year experience in research, much of it with very little supervision, no overall curriculum on research methodology or things that could potentially enhance their career as a researcher. And being told to go do retrospective uh, electronic medical record reviews. And this is abuse. I don't think there's another word for it. And I really wanted to point that out to our orthopedic world. I would say that th- this is not right. If we're going to be taking these students on, we really need to mentor them and make sure that the year is of value in case they're one of that group that eventually goes into another specialty. and. They need to be well-prepared to do research in whatever field, and they need to participate in, in projects that are, that are going to actually advance the field, not just simply be another addition to a faculty member's curriculum vitae, which seems to be what's going on to me. And I, I just think we as a community need to stamp out this abuse of students. So th- that's why I wrote it, because I, I really think it's yeah. a big problem.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's, I mean, it's such. it's I was saying that, you know, when I look at the, um, you know, actually at, at the review, right, the, the forum piece that's being published, you know, just beautifully written, very thoughtful, you know, provides a real great framework, Mark, for what should happen. Um, but the reality is that doesn't always happen. And, you know, the word we use around here is an enrichment year. But, you know, so how do you frame an enrichment year for a student? Well, the enrichment year for a student is not... My CV getting enriched, right? Okay. Uh, selfishly, let's say it's how do we enrich the, the that person? And I, and I thought you had provided uh, in your editorial some, you know, some general broad. I guess, approaches to how one might you know think of structuring an appropriately you know, set up year for a student. But at a minimum, you know, um, I, you would think that you'd want to have both the mentor or mentee, however we want to frame it, you know, being aligned on a common vision, uh, one that, you know, in, if anything, would arguably support the mentee. You know, I always say that choose a mentor that has a greater vision for you than you have for yourself. You know, it's very hard sometimes when you're there, you just think, I just, if I work here, there's a chance I'll get in and whatever I have to do to get in, I'll do it. But the reality never faces like, what if I don't get in? i just literally think, how am I prepared for something else? And I think that's your point. How do we prepare them that if they don't make it into a highly competitive program, we still prepare them to be successful in some other part. And I don't think some of these enrichment years, so to speak, are set up in a way that allows the mentee to be successful. Sure. Now, success could be I get in, and so it was worth it. And you know, I think there's some trade-off there Mark. And I suspect there's I suspect there's probably, and I'm not sure if you ever asked the students particularly or if, if they felt that they could be open and honest enough to say how they felt about the situation, but, I suspect for many of them, if they got in, they look back and say, well, you know, it worked out okay. You know, if they didn't get in, I would guarantee you that, you know, those who felt that there was abuse would be very unhappy with how they, you know, how things worked out for them. And more importantly, that I don't have any new skill set that I can actually use because right. I put all the things in that one basket.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah, so and that that's what I pointed out, that there really does need to be a curriculum on research methodology. And you alluded to this earlier in the discussion that there aren't very many that are going to go on to to a research career in our field or other fields. My estimate, and I've said this before on Ortho Joe, that it's it's around nine percent. And then of that nine percent, half are really really productive in research. Uh, I think that people like you and myself are weird. We're the, we're the strange ones. We're not the normal ones that really love to deliver great care to patients and their families and and consume. Research, but not really interested in the in the painful parts uh, of it. You know, the the seven nine years to to find the result of an RCT. So, what's happening with these uh, student researchers' uh, experiences is that they're being soured on the overall uh, research engine. That it's really only about the faculty and and their CV, and they really don't care about quality research that's going to impact the field. They care about numbers, and it really does. Put a foul taste in their mouth as they go on into their careers, whether it's orthopedics or not. And I just think the whole situation needs a great deal of attention uh, in our field. and And I hope, in some small way, that this editorial will will provoke oh, some was, more discussion.
0: Yeah. I you know. I congratulate you on you know on, on on saying it because I think there's probably many. Folks around, you know, who who will read it and say, "Yep," you know, it resonates, or at least somebody through either you know direct interaction or through some degree of separation has witnessed and or participated in this. It makes us all have a chance to reflect. I'm sure if I look back at many of the students that I've interacted with, there's probably some that in my mind I look back and think, you know, I could have done much better. I could have done much better to help them, and then. And maybe ways some. and you know, There's others which I, you know I thought I've done a lot, and I felt well, why is it so inconsistent? And I think we just all have to take stock of this type of area. And I'll tell you the one thing that you could very well do, and I don't know if if, if that data exists. I suspect it does, but of this group of medical students, Mark, that um, you know uh, engage. You said it's you know the 11 to 17 percent or so that engage. You know, what percentage of them actually end up doing research when they're in residency and how much actually and how many of them ultimately end up, you know, making research a part of their career. And I suspect it would be highly correlated with the richness, quote, the true enrichment of that year, because either you have someone fall in love with research during that year or they hate it. And both of those people are probably still getting in. Right. Because you you can still like what you're in and do very well at it because we have very bright, talented individuals who are applying. Uh, in medical school, but that doesn't mean that they're going to continue because, you know, we've actually potentially ruined an opportunity rather than supported one. So I think that's really an important part of that discussion is that every touch point with a student, you are shaping them. Like I know as a medical student, my interactions by individuals around me hugely shaped my life, hugely. And I can't imagine it's not the same for others.
1: Yeah. And it, Create an opportunity where you fell in love with research instead yeah. of an opportunity where you were soured on the whole experience and became yeah, just resentful
0: of the experience. right Now, again, if, if, if you don't get into orthopedics, you're very resentful. If you get into orthopedics, you may be thinking it's not for me and I'm never doing that again. I don't want to go through that
1: experience again. Right. For people, we're people like you and I, it's been a, a career long uh, experience that we've loved and can tolerate the frustration, I think, better than. Most uh, normal normal people. Uh, <laughs> it is not a
0: reward, right? I mean, there is reward, and there is something inspiring too uh, about being, you know, involved, as you said, right, with research that matters. I, you know, and I'm not saying that doing retrospective chart reviews can't be rewarding, and maybe we're not arguing that. But I do think that when you're left to your own devices and just yeah. sitting in, you know, in front of a, back in our day, with a microfiche or actual charts, physical charts, you would sit in a, a room. It was a very isolating experience. And you really had no sense of why you were there and what you were doing and just hoping that something would be uncovered.
1: Yeah, very much a monk-like experience. That's for sure. Yeah,
0: I found myself. I found myself, yes, in yeah. those experiences.
1: Well, the, fact of the, the fact of the matter is this uh, intense pursuit of uh, our field of orthopedic surgery is, is definitely worthwhile. I, I certainly couldn't be more grateful for uh, the ability to help patients uh with orthopedic medicine and surgery that, that I've had in my now 40 years of uh practice. And I and I know you feel the same way with your what, what is it, 10 years of experience now clinically? Well, something like that? Yeah, 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 <laughs> Right, right, right.
0: Well, I wish I was, I wish I was that. I wish I was that early on, but no, I've had a few more than that. Um, getting in double digits for sure. Um but let me ask you this, Mark, maybe before we end off here, is but like, what was it about this particular issue? Like is it like like what what is the core uh, of why you felt that you wanted to say something on this? Because I mean, I'm sure there are many issues, you know in your role as editor over the you know the last nine years that you could speak to. What was it about this one that really struck
1: a chord for you? Well, to cut to the chase, it really is abuse of a vulnerable population in our field. These poor students don't have advocates and they, they step into bad situations with the greatest hope. And they're, they're really vulnerable. And I just, I saw so many bad examples in my travels that I just had, I had to say something and speak out for them because they can't, you know, they, they can't say anything to anybody, or at least they feel they can't.
0: No, I mean, it's it's extremely well put. Yeah, that's exactly right. It is a, you know, we think of, you know patients as being part of a vulnerable population but you know our trainees are uh, in many ways in the same you know in some ways have the same have a similar fate and you really want to do everything you can to protect them now uh, you know i think there's greater a greater awareness and i do see and i'm hopeful that you know that this among you know with discussion around this topic and i hope this paper and this review and editorial garners lots of discussion, because I think it's important that you you don't solve a problem until you start talking about it. Right. And and we see that time and time again.
1: Right. Well, let's hope it triggers a snowball rolling down the hill. You know, it's almost winter in Minnesota. Oh, so I like that. Already time on snow. so. <laughs> <laughs> for well, a few, I'm,
0: gonna, I'm hoping I'm hoping we don't have snow yet in Canada for a couple of more weeks. I hope so. Boy, I
1: hope so. It's beautiful here today. It's like 55. It's unbelievable. But uh, anyway, yeah, I'll just uh, I,
0: was, I was saying the same thing. It's about 60 degrees here as well. So
1: yeah, it's great. So I don't know what you're doing today, uh, whether you have got meetings or whatever. But uh, I'm headed off to the airport. Go see my colleagues in Boston, uh, Carl Allen. I'll see you tomorrow. Okay. I always uh, say, is that may
0: your travels be safe and more importantly on time? Because I know what airports can be like. So
1: <laughs> all the best. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for t- talking about this with me, Mo.
0: No problem. Enjoying the discussion. Yeah.